You may have been expecting today, we may, may not, Dan preached from Galatians 3 last week, but you may have been expecting to turn to Mark chapter 6. But now I'm here, where are we going to turn to? Hebrews chapter 2, very good. I'd like to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. We'll have our last visit for now to this passage that we've looked at when I've been preaching for a couple of weeks now. I'll read again the whole passage again from Hebrews 2 verse 5 through to the end of the chapter. And then we'll look mainly at the, the kind of last section. Hebrews 2, verse 5. It is not to angels that he subjected the world to come, about which we're speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels, you crowned him with glory and honour and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So as I said, we've looked at this passage a couple of times now, if you've been with us. It's this wonderful passage, this wonderful sense that kind of throughout Hebrews 1 we've seen God, Jesus, God the Son who is above everything. We see here we're still looking at Jesus, we're still looking at this wonderful Son of God but Jesus the man who came, Jesus who stepped down and came to earth and in doing so he's become our representative, he's restored us, he's the one who we got this quote, what is man that you're mindful of him? This is who he set, who the, the world to come is subject to. It's a man, it's Jesus. He's come, he's come. He's restored what God had intended from the beginning. And in Christ, we can live. Where all was death in Adam, where Adam had failed, where we'd all failed, Jesus has come, he's restored us, he's made the way. And he's done that by coming, as we looked at last time, God saw fit to send him to be our substitute. It is fitting that he should make the author of our salvation perfect through suffering. 
Jesus came to earth to die on the cross in our place. And it was fitting because that satisfied God's justice, but it showed God's grace poured out to us. But all through this passage, it's been about Jesus the Saviour, it's been about Jesus restoring humanity, but it's all been about, and we've touched on it and we've said it all the way through, it's about Jesus coming as a man, as our brother. Becoming our brother. Becoming one of us. Not just saving us from a distant place, kind of up there on high. No, coming amongst us, becoming one of us. So today we're just going to look at, look at that really. What, what, does it, what else does it mean for us that Jesus is our brother? Jesus came and became one of us. Well, initially, in a sense, it's a recap again, and it's always worth saying. Jesus became our brother in order to save us. Jesus became a man in order to save us. Verse 14 is clear. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. It was absolutely vital that Jesus came as a man. Jesus came to become one of us To then live his perfect life so that by his death he would set us free. So we said last time to be the perfect author of our salvation, Jesus had to come. He had to be a man. He had to, as I said, then get on the pitch. He couldn't just be on the sidelines saying, This is what needs to happen. He had to be here. He had to come and he had to take our place. But the image in this last part of the passage, it talks about. Him being our great high priest. In verse 17, For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Throughout the Old Testament, the priest was the one who came before God. The priest, he was one of the people But he was the one set apart to come before God. He was the one who once a year, only once a year, he could come right in to the very front, into the Holy of Holies, whether that was in the tabernacle or in the temple. He would be able to come in fear and trembling. He could come before God into that very holy place and represent the people. What's it say here? Jesus is our faithful high priest. Jesus is the one who came. He had to come. He had to be one of us. The priest is one of us. The priest is one of the people. And he was the one who could come before God. But unlike in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the priest had to keep coming back year after year, time after time. An imperfect priest bringing sacrifices that couldn't fully deal with the sin of the people. But what do we see? Jesus became our faithful, merciful and faithful high priest so that he could deal with our sin. You see, he's compared to the high priests of the Old Testament, but in so many ways he's not 
like the priests of the Old Testament because Jesus is the perfect one. Jesus came, he became a man, but he was perfect. So when he comes before God, he doesn't have to go back out again. When he comes before God, he can come confident. He is righteous. He comes before God offering the perfect sacrifice himself. So that by his sacrifice, that's it. It is done. It is finished. Not constantly coming back. Not more sacrifices. Not more lambs. Not more whatever it may be. More animals that need to be sacrificed to to kind of cover over our sin. No. Jesus has come as our high priest. Offering himself as the sacrifice. So that now... It is done. In a sense, in the Old Testament, the priest and the sacrificial system, everything, it was all just pointing to the one who would make the ultimate sacrifice. The one who would be our great high priest, our faithful and merciful high priest. Okay, so Jesus had to become our brother, had to become a man to to save us. But what else do we see in this image of the high priest? We see that Jesus is a brother who understands. Let's read verse 16 to 18 again. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a faithful, a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus has come. His role as high priest was to set us free. His role as high priest was to bring the perfect sacrifice and free us from the power of sin and death. But what do we see? We see one who suffered when he was tempted. We see one who comes to help us. We see one who talks of helping Abraham's descendants. Who are Abraham's descendants? Not just those who were born into a family line of Abraham. In fact, not all of them. As Paul talks about in Romans. Those who are Abraham's descendants, they're not those who were just of a direct line. They could trace their family tree back. No, they're those who are the children of the promise. Those that God has called. Those that, like Abraham, have received righteousness by faith. Those who believe those who he has set free, those who he has saved. Jesus comes to help us. So Jesus comes to help Abraham's descendants. Yes, he does that by cancelling sin. He does that by dying in our place. But what else is it saying here? We have a mediator who stands before the Father who is merciful and faithful. We have a mediator who stands before the Father who suffered when he was tempted. What Hebrews 4 goes on with this, this is a, this is a theme that 
The writer to the Hebrews picks up again and again. In fact, Anne read some of it earlier on in Hebrews 10. But in Hebrews 4, verse 14, he says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So what does this, what does this mean? What, what's this extra point? Sin has been dealt with, yes. He's done it. He is our high priest. He has offered the perfect sacrifice. But he is also one who understands He's one who is able to sympathise with our weaknesses. He's one who has been tempted in every way, yet without sin. So where do we see that? What do we see? Jesus was tempted in every way. Let's look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. This is... Jesus has been baptised comes out goes into the desert you see this Luke chapter 4 verse 1 Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil he ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry and the devil said to him if you're the son of God tell this stone to become bread Jesus answered it is written man does not live on bread alone the devil led him up to a high place and showed him to an, in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. What we see in Luke chapter 4 is... The devil is determined to see Jesus slip up. The devil's determined. Jesus has come. He is the one. He is the one who is coming to be our perfect, faithful high priest. The one who is going to be the perfect sacrifice. And the devil sees, right, I've got to get in here. I've got to get in here. And he's at him. He is at him with everything. Look, you're starving. You're hungry. Look, you're the son of God. You could turn this bread, this rock into a stone. Look, at the moment, I've been given authority over the nations. I could give you authority over everything. Just, just, come on, do it my way. Look, we're up on this building. Look, God's not going to let anything happen to you. You can command angels to save you. He's coming at him. Listen to me. Just do it my way. But what do we see? Jesus resists. One, in verse 1 by the power of the Holy Spirit 
Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan. And by the word of God, it is written, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I am following my Father. We see Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted with, man, this is tough stuff. This is massive stuff. He's on this road going to the cross. And the devil says, oh, come and do it my way. But people can argue, well, yeah, but Jesus wasn't really tempted, was he? Because he's God. He couldn't really have, he couldn't really have been that bad. But look, at this is real. This is real. Jesus, yes, Jesus is fully God. Jesus was always fully God, and yet he's fully man. He came fully as a man. And what, does the, what is the Bible telling us? He was living in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He's quoting the word. He's, he's, living, he's living by responding with the scripture. He's living out in his fully full humanity by following his father. This is real. He's facing serious temptation and trial. This is Jesus. He's faced it as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing the word of God in relationship with his father. This is real. Let's look at another time. Mark chapter 14. This is real. In the garden. Mark 14 talks of the garden of Gethsemane. They've had the last supper. They've gone out to the garden. Jesus knows he's about to be betrayed. Mark 14, 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and, they be- and he began to be d- deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet... Not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. And returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus is in the garden. He's agonizing. He's agonizing over it. He knows what is coming before him. In a sense, the temptation is there. Can I keep going with this? God, is there any other way? But what's Jesus' resolve? I'm doing it. Not my will, but yours. And his advice to the disciples, his, his statement to the disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. He knows. He needs to go. He needs to be praying. He needs to be seeking his father. 
so that he doesn't give in, that he keeps going. As Hebrews says, because he suffered when he was tempted, he can help us who are tempted. Because he suffered. He has faced it. He has faced it. This is real. This is real suffering. This isn't just, well, it's, he's kind of, he's God, so he kind of probably floated through it, didn't he? No. Jesus, our brother, Jesus the man, came and suffered when he was tempted. So what does this mean? Sin is dealt with, yes, but not. Not in some cold, distant, detached way. We haven't, I don't know if anyone's applied to, for a visa or, or for a mortgage or for something like that. You come before with a visa, you'll come. Now, I've only, I've only applied for a visa, just I've applied for a visa to go to China to a conference. It was very pleasant. And to be honest, if I hadn't got the visa, then I just wouldn't have gone to the conference. It wasn't particularly life or death. Really, I know people need to apply for visas or for asylum, for, for things like this. This is, this is real. It's a hard situation. And you come before a government department or an organisation who don't know necessarily where you've come from. They don't know the situation that you're in. You come before probably some very nice people, but they don't, they're not... Do you understand what I'm saying? They're not in the same position as you. They're not in the same place. You come, you give in your application. It's like, well, we've got to make a call. Tick. Tick, tick, tick. Yes, okay. Or, hmm, no. Do you understand what I'm saying? This, you can get to some, or you go to a bank for a mortgage. They're not, they're not wanting to borrow the money. They're not wanting to, to buy the house. They've just got to make a decision. Well, does it add up? Does it really add up? Well, no, no, no I don't think so. But Jesus, this is not... We haven't just come before some cold, faceless organisation. Can I be forgiven? No. No. We have a great high priest who understands we have a great high priest who stepped in to our place. We have a great high priest who came, walked this earth as one of us, was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. That part he doesn't share. But he came, he was amongst us. He was one of us. We've been saved by Jesus coming as one of us facing the things that we face, facing the temptation that we face, and beyond, and beyond. Facing suffering to the point that we will never suffer on the cross. And he is the one who is now, as Romans 8, 33 says, as Paul's writing to the Romans, talking of our faithful high priest who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen it's God who justifies who is he that condemns Christ Jesus who died more than that was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us Jesus who came Jesus who has been through what we have faced 
He is the one who is sat at the right hand of the Father. He is there. The one who helps us. He's one who's not only dealt with our sin, one who not only enables us to approach the throne with confidence, he's one who knows what we face. He's one who can sympathise with our weaknesses. He's one who knows what we've experienced. Because he's experienced it. He's been tempted in every way. He's suffered to the point of death on a cross. What it means is the things that you may be going through or may go through, I don't know. I don't know what you're facing. And in many cases, if you told me, I would say, I don't know it. I don't, I don't understand. I, I, can, I can try and come alongside and I can, well, let's, let's see how I can help. But I haven't been there. I haven't been there. But he has. But he has. He who, was, who suffered when he was tempted can help those who are being tempted. Because he faced up to the cross. He faced up to it. He faced up to all the temptations of Satan that said, just turn away from it, come another way and everything will be great. He faced up with all the temptation to give up and go another way. He faced up to all the temptation to doubt that God was actually right. To turn aside from what God, the plan that that they put together before the beginning of the world. He faced up to that. We see it in the desert, we see it in the garden. He knows. He knows what we face. It's like in a sense, there's those guys running the half marathon now on a new course, a new, worse, well, not worse. By my mind, as someone who hasn't done it, a horrendously more difficult course that heads up the hill miles up into the peaks and then comes back again. Maybe the coming back wouldn't be quite so bad, but you have to get there first. But these guys, they're doing it. They're going, if you like, if you wanted to do it next year, I don't. But if you wanted to do it next year, they're going before you. They're going before you. They know what it takes. They know what it takes to, presumably, to get up and do the training when it'd be easier to stay in bed or to make sure you keep impressing on on what, what you need to be doing. They know what it's like when you get to the sixth mile and it's feeling tough or the first mile or the wherever. As you can see, I don't know. <laughs> but they know. They know. But it's easy for us. We could still say, yeah, but... But to be honest... Yeah, you, you, guys, you, guys are the guy, you guys are the marathon runners. You know. Well, see, it's easy for you. You don't really know how I would face. We can do that with Jesus. You don't really know, Jesus, what I'm facing. These guys who are running the marathon, they'll, provided the course stays the same, they'll know every detail. They'll know what it is, how it was to do it. And we can still say, yeah, but for me it would be different. For me, it would be different. And maybe in some cases with the, marathon, with the half marathon, it would be. Each of us would be different. 
But we can do it with Jesus. We can say, Jesus, you went through all of that, but you, were, you weren't in this specific situation that I'm in. He knows. He knows. He understands. Whatever it is, hear this in the right way, he went through more. There's not belittling any situation that we may face. That can never belittle any situation we may face. He went through more. He went through the thing that we will never have to face now. And yet he kept going. He kept going. Tempted, yes, but without sin. So we have a high priest who understands, who knows what it's like. But does he respond then, look, buck up guys, I face so much more for you than what you're facing now, and yet you want to give up? No, no. He's our merciful and faithful high priest. The one who suffered when he was tempted so that he can help those who are being tempted he's merciful he's merciful he pours out his grace and mercy on us he understands what we face and he understands he knows he knows that it's hard for us he knows and he can help us so also he's our brother who saves us our brother who understands he's a brother to follow This whole passage cries out with what Jesus has done for us in coming as a man, in coming to be one of us, in coming to be the one who made the way. Restoring us, redeeming us, dying in our place, conquering death, setting us free from the fear of death. Making a way for us to be alive, to be in him, to be in Christ, rather than dead in Adam. But implicit in all of, it, all of it is the call for us to follow. In that element, he is our example. Not just our example, as some would suggest. Rodrigo Sarah Vandermeer were quoted on Friday at the prayer meeting that bit in Hebrews 2 about Jesus tasting death. And rightly, as Sarah said, it's not just that he somehow got a taste of it just to kind of, kind of maybe be, kind of, where's the word? To, to empathise with us, to be kind of alongside us. No, he died in our place. He tasted death for us. Some may exaggerate to the point of, no, Jesus was just an example. Jesus was just a... Just one to kind of look at and follow. No, he has done what we could not do. He has done, he has made the way for us. And yet, nevertheless, he is our example, our forerunner. He is our captain, the author of salvation, the one who goes before us, our brother. Our brother, who is, as verse 11 says, not ashamed to call us his brothers. So he states in verse 11 and then kind of backs up with these quotes from the Old Testament that can be quite tricky to look at in a way. We're not going to go into them in detail in a way, but the first one's from Psalm 22. It's David speaking, but prophetically, this is, this is 
This is kind of preempting the words of Jesus. So we see in Psalm 22, in verse 1, that cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That we hear from Jesus on the cross. Later on, verse 16 to 18, we see, They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People staring close over me, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. We can see the foreshadowing of Jesus on the cross and Jesus around the cross. And then this man speaking says this, I will declare your name, God, my father, to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him, which is what is echoed in Hebrews chapter two. This is Jesus I'm here with my brothers. I'm identifying with them. I'm going to praise God. Come with me. Praise him. Go with him. Jesus calls us to follow after him. To run after him. He's the one who's gone on ahead. Our brother and our king. It's fitting that Paul in Philippians 2 in Philippians 2, where he talks, may our attitude be as that of Christ. If we look at that passage, it talks so much of what Jesus and Jesus alone could uniquely do, that he stepped down from heaven. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And on it goes, taking the nature of a servant, humbling himself to the point of death. And now God has exalted him to the highest place. It's, it's a passage talking about what only Jesus could do. Jesus coming to be our sacrifice. Jesus coming to be the one who stood in our place. And yet, at the same time, may our attitude be as that of, as that of Christ. We can't go to the same place that Jesus went. We can't. And he, he's done it so that we don't have to. And yet we can follow after him. And yet he calls us to follow after him. Our brother who's gone before us. Our brother who has made a way. As Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. He said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. He's gone to the cross so that we don't have to, but he calls us to take up our cross, to go after him, to follow where he has led see that echo of he's the one who's not ashamed to call us brothers we don't want to be ashamed of him he calls us to go after him to be to worship him to glorify him to go after him wholeheartedly our brother who's gone before and who now sits at the right hand of the father interceding for us our great high priest who knows what we face knows that we're tempted he's faced 
tempted in every way, yet without sin. As we close, it's, it can be so tempting to compromise. Even in this letter to Hebrews, in chapter two, at the beginning of chapter 2, he knows, he's speaking into it, he knows it's easy to drift. 2 verse 1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. But Jesus, our brother, calls us to follow him, the one who was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. He doesn't just call us to follow in some kind of distant, mean way. Come on, get it sorted. No, he has made a way and he knows what it's like. He knows what we face, whatever we're facing today. He knows and he can help us. Our merciful, faithful high priest. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you, you did not just stay in heaven. Lord, you didn't come up with your father some kind of plan where you could just kind of wipe everything under the carpet, sweep everything under the carpet and yet stay somehow distant. Lord, you are a God who comes near. A God who has come near. In becoming our faithful and merciful high priest, you have gone through it all. You took our place. You died in our place. You suffered as you were tempted. In every way, yet without sin. You did it. Oh, God, and now we see you are seated in glory, interceding for us, one who understands, one who has been through everything we face and more, one who can help us in our time of need, who can help us when we're tempted. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.